Welcome everyone to Mystery AI Hype Theater 3000, where we seek catharsis in this age of AI hype. We find the worst of it and pop it with the sharpest needles we can find. Along the way, we learn to always read the footnotes. And each time we think we've reached peak AI hype, the summit of bullshit mountain, we discover there's worse to come. I'm Emily M. Bender, a professor of linguistics at the University of Washington. And I'm Alex Hanna, director of research for the Distributed AI Research Institute. This is episode five, which we recorded on November 9th of 2022. We're talking about the Future Fund, which was a grant-making arm of Sam Bankman-Fried's now notorious cryptocurrency exchange, FTX. And if you note the date, we recorded this conversation before FTX collapsed, because there was plenty to criticize even before it all went to crap. Plus, we kick off a new segment we like to call What in the Fresh AI Hell? with a lightning round of assorted piping hot hype. Morning, Alex. How are you? Morning, Emily. I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing pretty good. I've been up for three and a half hours and I spent one of them running. So that's um, exciting. Life is good. I'm glad that you're getting that. I can't really work out in the morning because it makes me tired for the rest of the day. (laughs) Everybody's different. I I am so much better for the rest of the day if I work out in the morning. (laughs) Right. That's awesome. Well, welcome everyone to Mystery Science, Mystery AI, (laughs) Theater 3000. And if you got last time, we were talking with a great panel of experts um, talking about AI art. But now we are going to really get into it. We're going to be dealing with some really bad AI hype this week. <laughs> right. But, but keep in mind, the level of discourse is going to go sinking right back down to our usual because we don't have those experts with us. Exactly. <laughs> Right. We're just going to be doing this. And, you know, I'm 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 here for it. You know, this is great. All right. Wonderful. And so cool. So let's let's get into it. So what's the first thing on tap today? So so these are these are all things. This one you you sent to sent to me a few weeks ago about. And do you want to give a little background on it? Uh. Sure. Should I share the screen and let people know what it is? Let people, let yeah, people look at yeah, it while yeah. I'm talking? Okay. Yeah, let me, I can't quite talk and share at the same time. So no, let's do it. <laughs> All right. Do you see yeah. what you want me to see? Okay. Yeah. Yes. Um, so this is uh, something called Future Fund, which I gather is associated with the long-termist, effective altruist side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and they put out this contest a few weeks ago. Um, and it's basically a, you know, change my mind thing. Yeah. Right. Um, and I was just so riled up on reading it. I'm like, Alex, we should do this one. Right. <laughs> Mystery AI Hype Theater 3000. Totally. Um, but then we had better things to do with um, talking to experts about AI art. So it sort of sat for a bit. Right. Um, and then I haven't actually looked at it in the meantime. So I'm coming into this pretty fresh. Um, yeah. What I remember from looking at it was, First of all, it's just like so deep in its own assumptions about like AI and how to think about AI. So that would yeah. be fun to take apart. Yeah. But also this is future fund is money, right? Money yeah, totally meant to be used for research. And they're setting this thing up as a prize. So basically right. asking much people to do some work and then maybe paying some of them for it after the fact, which just right. makes me mad. Right. <laughs> right. Please do a bunch of work and then yeah. But yeah. In, in any case, let's let's get into like what this is because I was kind of a bit befuddled about what was happening in this actual prize until I started reading this because kind of the first 
you know, kind of paragraphs on it was trying to describe, you know, like, and what they're doing is, is that they want to have people write work or essays on the future of AI. And um, they're going to give this kind of wild range of money for this. Um, and so uh, I'm seeing our, our screen is kind of clipping this. Um, let oh. me, um, I'm going to make a, it, no, this is uh -huh. my fault on the, I'm going to adjust a little bit. And, we're gonna, and yeah, it's on oh, my, my, my broadcaster on my OBS end. I have to, um, so it's going to cut off our faces a little bit, but it's, it's fine. <laughs> um, over here. Does no, this help or did I go oh, no, the no, wrong way? The other, the other way, the other way. <laughs> oh, no, here. I'm just going to center us. Actually, I'm going to do this. This works better. Squeezing <laughs> our screen in. All right, great. Okay. So now we're totally in, and all the text of this is in. Great. So what it is, is this is like, um, you know, they're offering this prize for um, writing on what is considered the future of AI. And, I mean, it's already on the premises. You kind of know what these politics are, given that first we expose our assumptions. We think that AI is a development most likely to dramatically alter the trajectory of humanity in this century um, and is consequently one of our top funding priorities. Um, and then and then I think, you know, they start sort of, you know, they, they have as one of the premises in which they say, we think that's really possible that, one, all of this AI stuff is a misguided sideshow. Two, we should be even more focused on AI. Or three, a bunch of this AI stuff is basically right, but we should be focusing on entirely different aspects of the problem. All right, all right. Should yeah. we put something up on Predict It? Um, <laughs> yes. About which of these they're actually going to award money for? Because my money's on this one. They're going to like some essay that says, no, 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 you should be even more focused on AI. Right, right. And it's, I mean, the, and the way that this thing is basically written out is that the focus is much more on, you know, this, the second one and not really on this, all this AI stuff is a misguided sideshow. Um, yeah. You know, I think, I think you're, you're, you're already sort of showing your cards pretty early on, right? <laughs> and so, I yeah. mean, it's, I mean, the way the, the rest of this is, and it's, it's, I found that this, a lot of this is written in a way, even the format, that the way that they're adjudicating this is by giving uh, uh, a lot of these to what are called super predictors. Um, and they don't really, or super forecasters. forecasters. And it's, yeah. and it's, and these are sort of judges. And my sense, and they're, they're building off the work of, of Phil Tetlock here, who's, who's, who's a, a, a social psychologist, I believe. And, in which, you know, these are people I think who are considered to be kind of right. They've had some kind of track record of being right a few of the time, but they these are the sort of authority of, of judges. So to me, this sort of <laughs> this sort of seems to read like we're gonna give this to like a bunch of Nate Silvers <laughs> who are like may have been right, <laughs> you know, a few times, uh, and then, you know, had a spectacular failure in 2016 <laughs> in forecasting the US presidential election and has become mm -hmm. an incredibly terrible um contrarian on Twitter since. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the super forecaster thing, it's like so that's this sort of put forward as a here's a property that people have they're good at forecasting the future right mm -hmm. and as if that is one specialty and not yeah there's some people who have expertise in xyz um 
you know, science or technology or social phenomenon. And so they know a little bit better how to look at what's happening right now and, you know, make some educated guesses about what comes next in that domain that they have some expertise in, as opposed to, yeah, these people have been so good at it. You know, they're, they're the Nate Silvers who know how to do and Sorry, I'm like getting distracted by Kate Silver, who is a far better. I know. I, the, it, Kate Silver is my roller derby name, and unfortunately, the name of the stream. And it's uh, it's, it's been yeah. it's been it's been haunting me since. <laughs> but but I'm too right. I'm too bought in into the to to the brand that I need to stick with it. <laughs> yeah. No, I get it. We can we can we can reclaim the uh, Star Eight Silver space with something yeah, better, right? Right. Um, or you can, and I will hopefully help you. But um, so, so there's this like Nate Silver version of it, or there's the like we found some people who we think you know actually have crystal balls and know how to operate them. Mm-hmm. Like you know, it just yeah, ah, um, yeah it's already yeah. infuriating in the sort of judgment. And I love the there's we've we've and and M is in the chat. We 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 actually were on Masto uh, last night making jokes about. Um, nates and various metals and they're in the chat saying like <laughs> like we were and i think someone yeah said nate cobalt 60 anyways <laughs> there's a whole thread it was it was it was fun anyways nice. we digress <laughs> from, from, the, from, from the rest of this yeah. so they um, wanted to go into yeah. this super forecaster thing and then i mean let's let's go down because i i it's really i mean they're also saying we're sort of testing this idea of philanthropy to be based on prizes um for funding which is problematic in its own right (laughs) and talking about the kind of ways in which you need some kind of discrete or some kind of impact guided philanthropy that is you know like philanthropy is a messy ass field and working in nonprofit space right now which is new for me Mm -hmm. it's also the case that you know, you're not going to have that turnaround, especially for people working on really important kinds of things. If you're working in the space of sort of digital rights, you know, these are things that are going to these this this the sort of change that you want to see is going to take three, five, ten years, and yeah. and, and well, so and this and it's really bizarre as a mode of gift of of, of fundraising. And go ahead, right? Well, and so the thing about prizes here is that you can only attract the work of people who can do the work without getting paid first. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, given the current world we live in, they are just setting it up so that they are not going to listen to the people who probably have the most information about what's going on, about the actual things threatening yeah. humanity, right? Because this is all yeah. about what is the biggest threat to humanity. Um, yeah. Right. You know, the, the 40 people years who, from now. <laughs> yeah. The people who, like I was saying before, are experiencing the things that would let them speak to that very well do not have the time to do unpaid work in no. the hope of maybe getting a prize of yeah. you know somewhere between fifteen thousand and one point five million dollars. Right? I know. Yeah, it's 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 already going to be incredibly biased. Yeah. All right. Let, let, shall we get into the actual kinds of things? Because there's there's one part <laughs> the actual premises. <laughs> Okay, yeah. like let's yeah talk about this, Emily, because it's it's okay. a doozy here. We think AI is the development most likely to dramatically alter the trajectory of humanity in this century. All right, climate change. I mean, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Okay, I, like climate change on top, and it's all connected. But you know, what about the failures of various democracies? What about increasing inequality? What about you know global pandemics? What about like the, I can probably do ten things that I think mm-hmm. off the top of my head. But okay, yeah. Um, yeah, it's already posing serious challenges: transparency, interpretability, algorithmic bias, and robustness, to name just a few. Uh, yeah, there's really easy ways to address those challenges in basically not deploying it. Like mm-hmm. it's not something that's just sort of out there happening on its own. Um, right. People are building this and people can decide how much we want to use it. Um, but before too long, advanced AI could automate the process of scientific and technological discovery, leading to economic growth rates well over 10% per year. <sighs> um, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's, there's a lot in that here. And I mean, I think the, fir- the next paragraph is really, I looked at quite askance. With the help of advanced AI, we can make enormous progress towards ending global poverty, animal suffering, early death, and debilitating disease. Um, Okay, first off, the sort of the premise of basically thinking about these ending global poverty, which is, okay, I want to take that animal suffering, which is a particular, I'm I'm curious on what the premises of that at early death and debilitating disease. Okay, so now you have the sort of health space, but... I really want to focus on this ending global poverty thing because why in the world do we need an AI for that? <laughs> ending global yeah. poverty seems as a consequence of being a problem of will, a political will, as well as being exacerbated by massive shifts in climate, um, you know, reduction of food supply and growth. And I concentrations really- of Funding and power that w- yeah. what gets called AI these days is definitely exacerbating. Right. And so I can't imagine any kind of world in which advanced AI is going to facilitate ending of global poverty. I'm curious yeah. what they mean by animal. Ooh, what happened? Oh, did I move something in a bad way? <laughs> yeah. Oh. oh, yeah. You moved something and then everything went out of frame. <laughs> Sorry. That's weird. I'm trying to set it up so that I can also see the chat. So oh, let me, okay. let me yeah. move just a little bit so that I can kind of see the chat. And then if you, well, hmm, okay. One more thing. Sorry. going to make that more narrow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm, yeah, that works for me and that, and it's, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm checking the, the thing. Thanks. You know, hey, if anybody okay. wants to be a uh, producer, <laughs> producer? Us, I love yeah. that. Um, um, yeah. And yeah. Uh, <laughs> And in the chat, uh, Pete Forward says, this is the wildest Mad Lib. Yeah, they're just putting in words here. <laughs> and I love the Star Trek cameo, too. We need an oh, AI yes. system to save the whales, uh, I really, Emery and Jane, so the plot had, of Star Trek Four doesn't happen. <laughs> I had I had a student that came in with a, uh, a Star Trek Four shirt once, and I was like, where did you get that shirt? I need a whale <laughs> shirt. <laughs> so yeah. good. Right. Um, so, so, so we don't see a plausible path towards ending global poverty. Like, even if we posit that AI is a thing, right? That mm-hmm. that mathy math leads to what these guys are talking about as AI. Yeah. How does that help us end global poverty? Um, okay, early death and debilitating disease. Like, yes, there are applications of pattern matching at scale to mm-hmm. facilitating, you know, going through large piles of biomedical scientific literature to find the next hypothesis to test. Okay. Um, and the protein folding thing is a reasonable application of pattern matching over a very large data set that was carefully curated and constructed that mm-hmm. is probably going to be helpful to the people mm-hmm. doing science that requires yeah. that information, right? And I think, um, and, and not to be too down, and I don't know enough about 
protein folding. And so this is something where I'm going to quickly get out of my depth, but it's probably one of the cases in which this could be a case in which AI is probably narrowly very, very helpful or drug discovery. Um, so I will give them that, but this is dramatically overstating the claims alongside these other problems. <laughs> right, right. Um, and so there was, I had an interesting discussion um, with uh, my colleague, Bill Howe at, at UW, where he was talking about um, that protein folding is a really interesting case because the problem is well scoped. Mm-hmm. And right. yeah. there's a large sort of carefully constructed data set. Yeah. And all of the work that went into that data set is a really important part of how we got to where we yeah. are now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that's and, and I think that's an important thing to to highlight because when I was having this conversation with Rasacha um Safala was one of our fellows, but a lot of the problems that we come into with AI is that the task is pretty narrowly defined and that the problem is well defined. And I think a lot of the mismatch that happens in these spaces is that people take something that they don't know a lot about. <laughs> They put a ta- they kind of wrap a task around it in this conceptualizing of a task, and that then becomes a stand-in for a much more complicated problem. And so this is you know what Samir Pasi and Steve Jackson and have called and Salam Barakos have called this problem of um, problem formulation and the idea mm-hmm. that problem formulation doesn't get kind of squared up right. And the mm-hmm. interesting work done by our former colleagues at Google, including um, Donald Martin Jr. and Avinod Prabhakar and, and, and a few others and William Isaac, have tried to step back and think about problem formulation and try to reframe problem formulation in different ways. So they had a workshop at Data for Black Lives and a few years ago in which they had a community-based problem formulation workshop um, so I think those are interesting alternative approaches, but so much work goes into even framing the problem into one that is mangles it in a certain way that tries to make it interpretable by AI that really misses so much and ignores so much prior research that's done in these areas. Yeah. Yeah. And I get the feeling that, that this, like, we are making general purpose systems that can do things like solve early death and debilitating disease um, makes it harder for people who actually are well positioned to come up with the good problem formulation where pattern matching at scale is, is applicable and helpful and they can construct a relevant data set. It makes it harder for that work to get done because it looks less sexy when it's held up against these people making these wild claims. And somehow the wild claims are being um, treated as reasonable parts of the discourse. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Which is not okay with me. Yeah. I'm also reminded of how, um, and I was tweeting about this and uh, tooting about it recently. <laughs> um, I got invited to be on a panel about uh, task design and NLP. And one of the sample questions that was in the invitation was something along the lines of, um, is domain expertise like linguistics necessary for task formulation? Oh dear. <laughs> and I was like, uh, no, thank you. I do not wish to be invited on a panel in, in order to debate whether or not I should be on the panel. Like, you know, um, and there's lots of interesting things that you could talk about next to that question. If you presuppose yes, yes, this is necessary, then it could be things like, okay, what are effective ways of bringing in that domain expertise? Yeah. Right. How do you structure the interaction? How do you, um, you know, 
and and with what you're talking about about community design problems, right? That expertise isn't necessarily like book learning expertise. It could also be, you know, boots on the ground. This is my lived experience. Um, I see the problems before me and in my community expertise. Um, yeah, and I mean, I didn't even come across this idea of domain expertise until I started focusing on kind of computer science and AI, yeah. because it's sort of people are like, oh yeah, we expect you to actually know what you're talking about <laughs> in this field, and right. it really is this kind of blunt kind of thing of AI engineering um, and, to weigh in on this particular problem that many people have focused on for years and years and years. And as you say that, it strikes me that that, that phrase domain expertise, in contrast to whatever it is that computer scientists know, um, yeah. kind of suggests that computer science has the view from nowhere and everybody mm -hmm. else is mired in their specific domain. So Exactly. This should, is actually, start... well, there's a great paper here by uh, Jenna, Jenna Burrell, um, and it's called the logic of domains. Um, and it, it really gets on this, um, uh, on this idea of the idea that, um, oh, sorry, it's not Jenna, but not Jenna Burrell, David Reeves, who's a science and technology studies scholar, uh, mm -hmm. Andrew Hoffman, um, and Jeffrey Bowker that talks about this idea of domains and how there is this idea that domains, um, you know, that like com com computer science sort of is outside of domains themselves. I'll drop that in the chat and we can put that in show notes when it's on. Yeah, um, excellent. Yeah, so it's a really great article and I think really touches on that. Let's get into like yeah. the meat of this. <laughs> I really, I really like, we, we haven't such aversion to, to it. Like, yeah. There's like a, I know, I, we, let's get into it because I want to get into it. I want to get to that terrible table that they have. <laughs> okay, so um, let's see. Uh, where are we at? Uh, our world could soon look radically different. Different. We were saying, okay, with the help of AI, these things could happen. But two formidable new problems for humanity could also arise. I can't read this without doing silly voices. Um, do, do it. Do it. Do a silly voice. Yeah. <laughs> um, loss of control to AI systems by silly voices, like you know, trying to sound like I'm taking this seriously. And that's <laughs> Advanced AI systems might acquire undesirable objectives and pursue power in unattended ways, causing humans to lose all or most of their influence over the future. This is the paperclip nonsense, right? Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, like you don't have to cede control to AI systems. Like mm -hmm. we don't have but, to build the thing. But they could take power. But what if they do? <laughs> what if it was intentioned? Okay. Yeah. Okay, so this next one, concentration of power. Actors with an edge in advanced AI technology could acquire massive power and influence. If they misuse this technology, they could inflict lasting damage on humanity's long-term future. Um, you know, I object to calling it advanced AI technology, but otherwise this sounds like it's happening. It's, <laughs> yeah, I was about to say that. This is happening, and it's it's not necessarily even about advanced AI technology. It's about, yeah, yeah. and that's, yeah, P. Ford also, <laughs> Jinx. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this is actually already happening. I mean, and it's not necessarily about the AI technology that they're yielding. It's the, the data and compute that they're yielding, the way that it's suffused in so many different existing technologies. And the fact that I think there's a way in which AI kind of rhetoric then gets leveraged, I mean, which is kind of the idea behind this stream series is that pushing yes. back against the kind of ways in which rhetoric already gets yielded uh, or, or used and wielded in a way um, to sort of express a sort of knowledge of technical acumen of we know better than you, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So for more on these problems, um, we, 
uh, we decided that we don't have to subject ourselves to Bostrom, right? We no, are... we, we, I don't, I don't really don't <laughs> want to. There's other things I want to read. I really want to read, you know, like there's a reading list on my kitchen, my kitchen table that's this high. And yeah. I really don't have yeah. the, the spoons that to, to hate no. read Bostrom. Yeah. No, me either. But just looking at this, thinking about point two, what I would recommend reading is um, Shoshana Zuboff's The Age of Surveillance Capitalism, um, which, uh, Oh, I can't remember his name. The person who who coined um, uh, Critty Hype, uh, Vinsel mm-hmm. Lee Vinsel. Um, he, he, oh, Lee he points Vinsel. out, yeah, that SDS yeah. scholar. Yeah, yeah. He points out that she um, like uh, buys in a little bit too much into what the AI people say they're doing, um, but she also documents what they're trying to do, and that's damning enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and I recommend people have complained about this book as being. A little bit redundant, um, but I read it as an audiobook um, while running, and a little bit redundant is great because if you miss something, it comes back again. Um, right. So if you if you want to hear about you know sort of how people building stuff they're calling AI are using that um, in this process of concentration of power, that's a great book in my opinion. Yeah. Um, um, live tooting us in Mastodon. I know. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so then, like, the next part of this is where it really, I mean, it really gets, <laughs> you know, pretty bad. Um, I mean, it's already pretty bad. But then the the kind of idea here is now they put kind of um, probabilities on each of these things happening. So probability one, and I mean, it's worth going to the, the, the footnotes on this, is um, probability one is probability of the misalignment misalignment of existential risk conditional on the development of AGI being developed by 2070, humanity will go extinct or drastically curtail its future potential due to a loss of control of AGI. First off, now that I read this again, the conditional statement is um, just from a statistical perspective is sort of Conditional on AGI being developed, and then there's an additional causal claim of humanity's extinction due to a loss of control of AGI. So I'm like, okay, because one that I, one thing that I would think we should say is say there's a probability of humanity's extinction conditional on AGI, and what is the delta between the probability of humanity's extinction without that condition? Uh, probability-wise, which I think is still rather high given climate change, yeah. <laughs> right? Right. And but there, there's and so it's it's really kind of weird that they're introducing this probabilistic notation and then also inducing this other joint kind of joint probability of because it should technically sort of be misaligned existential risk conditional on AGI comma and it's a joint probability of con- the loss of control of that AGI. Anyways. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so I guess misalignment X risk is short for that like that stands for this whole last part here, right? Yeah. Um and so they, they somehow believe they can reason about the probability of these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, right. In- so their current position that there's this this thing, the conditional probability of of Existential, well, so esque risk isn't a, you can't have a probability of a risk. That doesn't make any sense. Um, but the probability of this outcome that they label existential risk. Yeah. It's, given AGI happening. Yeah. 
they've set at 15%, which is not, um, they don't mean 15% likelihood just from right now. They mean assuming this other thing happens, mm-hmm. uh, which by 2070 would have to be this one. So I think there's a 20% chance by 2043 mm-hmm. why, uh, that that there will be AGI. And then in that 20% chance, there's a 15% chance of court. Like these numbers, wait, <laughs> Yeah, and it's and and, and and in the footnotes, I mean, like in the footnotes, they say, okay, footnote one says that um, they, they they we pose many of these beliefs in terms of subjective probabilities, which represent the betting odds that we consider fair, in the sense that we'd be roughly indifferent between betting in favor of the relevant propositions at those odds or betting against them. Okay. So, then, so it's it's their gut feeling is what it's their says. gut feeling, right? And they're assigning, you know, so they they call these subjective probabilities, and it's very, and they have in the, <laughs> they have in the um, Q and A uh, a line that says something of, um, uh, where is it? It's something of the nature of why? Where are you pulling these numbers of? <laughs> basically and yeah so they are these statistically significant probabilities grounded in detailed published models that are confirmed by strong empirical regularities that you're really confident in which you know if you have numbers that probably would be good they actually have empiricism <coughs> empirics behind it so they wait, say no this? these this is are these statistically significant probabilities this is i think the last or the second to last q a um okay. And they say, no, they are what we are considered fair betting odds. So what you're saying is this really is your this really is your gut feeling that you're putting some numbers to and then, you know, basically trying to, you know, establish some kind of priors. And then you're starting. So it's incredibly shaky (laughs) empirical. The miracle grounds to go on. Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to be really crude here. Yeah. How is it, it that people are pulling these numbers out of their asses while their heads are shoved up their asses at the same time? <laughs> hey, I mean, talking about elevating the discourse, we really went from here. Yes. Just we're now up in the stratosphere. And it's really I mean, so it's really and it and what's infuriating about this is not, you know, you could play some numerical games if you wanted to with this, but there's millions of dollars on the line here. Do you really need? We have empirics for so many other things, climate change, uh, you know, racial disparities and incarceration and policing, uh, global hunger, that we have so much, and you are literally putting millions of dollars based on these gut feelings, and it's just, uh, it's just, it's, it, it would be funny if it wasn't such a, 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 a kind of. Uh, unjust action to do such a thing, right? That right. in the sort of in the sort of disservice of of having more empirics on problems that we know that you're granting so much money on things that are so subjective and so pulled out of the ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and granting so much money that could have been used for better, you know, in better ways, and at the same time trying to redirect further effort of people who could be spending their time doing more valuable things rather yeah. than trying to, you know, these, these are the, the change my mind bros and it's obnoxious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty frustrating. All right. All right. So we're, we're, we're the tables. Anything else we need to say about this table? I don't, I don't think uh, like, it's just, it's just, it really is 
pulling out of the ass. <laughs> yeah. And it's and it's and it's and it's moving and the kind of thing that is wild about this is that they are going to award things to money that publish analysis that moves these probabilities. And I'm I'm just sort of thinking about <laughs> it's just it's just kind of fascinating that like okay how are the probabilities going to be moved right um and so what they say is you can also participate in the contest basically by publishing these things to a blog or archive um which is hilarious anyways (laughs) yeah right so okay so Uh, all right so let's five million dollars if you and they're they're interested of course in either direction but we start at the top right yeah so if you move them below 3% or above 75%, and this is the one that starts at 15, um, and then AGI will be developed to below 3% or above 75%, um, and that one starts at 20. Um, we've award prizes of intermediate size for intermediate updates at our discretion. Like the whole thing's at their discretion. Yeah. Like- <laughs> this is effectively at the discretion of these, these super... Yeah, these super things, these super predictors. Right. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of floored by this. Uh, I'm looking at the rest of this, and I'm sort of saying this is all very frustrating. I kind of want to, I kind of want to move to the other things we're starting <laughs> that we had. We had three other things we wanted to talk about, or two other all things, right. and I wanted to spend the last kind of like twenty minutes or thirty minutes talking about this because it is frustrating. But I don't think we're gonna like get really move. <laughs> From, yeah, like, I guess add, adding more, but like it maybe a final word and then moving to the two other the new segment that we're gonna have. <laughs> yeah, um, right. So yes, I guess you're right. We could we could just keep saying different iterations of the same thing over and over again. But I just want to point out that um, the super forecasted judges are not actually the only judges, right? As a check slash balance mm. of our reasonableness as judges, then they're gonna uh. have this panel do something independent. So. It's, it really is changed my mind. Yeah, it is. Um, it is effectively yeah, for the people who are at this fund. So an experiment in prize-making philanthropy, uh, <laughs> but not very different from existing philanthropy as being a series of judges, except for these super forecasters who are yeah. problematic in their own right. Yeah. All right. Um, so on to the new segment. All to the new segment. So we we have a new segment. Um, do we have music? I haven't set up any kind of music. Um, so um, in in my stream or anything, it'd be cool <laughs> if we could sort of connect uh, something. Um, but our new segment is called, and maybe when we put this on on YouTube, we'll have a banner or something. What in the <laughs> fresh AI hell? <laughs> So maybe we could come up with a theme song. What in the fresh AI hell? <laughs> do, 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 do. I don't know. Not maybe we have some musicians among the uh, yeah, listeners here. If you're a musician and you want to come up with a stream. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, All right. So, so I've got a couple. Do you have a couple too? I, I don't I don't have a couple. I what's this go on your 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 things that you had and you dropped in okay. our group chat? Yeah. Yeah, well, so I've, I've got two that are queued up here. The other ones I'd have uh-huh. to look a little bit harder for, but I could. Um, okay, so the freshest one, this is one from just yesterday. This, this piping fresh hell. Yes. Is this from yesterday? Because <laughs> I saw the original post was posted and the paper was posted in September. But oh, maybe wow. there's okay. there's an update. Yeah, I don't know. I came across it yesterday. So oh, it's fresh okay. to me. It's fresh to um, you. Okay. Yeah. 
I don't know. Oh, maybe maybe it was Abeba who who retweeted it. But yeah. yes, okay, September. Okay, in a new paper, we ask whether you can use GPT-3 to survey humans by simulating those humans and asking them questions as opposed to interviewing actual humans. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, okay, and this is really, and this is, this is, as I, as a social scientist, I am infuriated at this. It is su- such a... Ooh, dog. Like, <laughs> this is, this is kind of amazing. And I, and so I'm reading the abstract now. And this, oh, wait, 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 says, hold on. I got, yeah, yeah, the I got to get to the rest of this. Yeah. And, so, for, so and someone says, why? and let's call, and first off, let's also call out that Drake is trash. Thank you. All right. <laughs> yeah. But so Drake is trash and the captions are backwards on this meme. <laughs> like, Wait no, it's they're not backwards because they're saying they're not, they're not surveying humans. I, they I know. want to survey. Yeah, but like, but if, but if 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 the meme were sensible, it'd be the other way. Around. Well, if the, yeah, if, if it was, if it was, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. So so November eighth, someone says why, and the tweeter replies, "Good social science is extraordinarily expensive, and if we could safely do it on simulated subjects, we could increase our sample size, save money for other studies, iterate more quickly, survey unreachable populations, etc." I would suggest reading section eight of the paper, which maybe we should, but like maybe maybe we should because I I'm already sort of saying, Ugh, like who are your unreachable populations? Why are they why are they unreachable? Have you oh and, so and reading, why do you think that that GPT three would uh, is actually okay. going to model those unreachable samples? I, I want to read I want to read this abstract real quick okay. or as part of it in which they say we create quote silicon samples by conditioning the model on thousands of socio-demographic backstories from real human participants in multiple large surveys conducted in the United States. We're already going to be in the United States. You're already talking about people that are hard to reach through sampling. And and then and then you're also talking about some kind of a knowledge space where you know everything about individuals, not reflecting on things like survey bias or response bias or selection bias or the things that survey researchers have been doing research on for decades. (laughs) So there's there's that layer. There's the fact that the underlying data set for GPT-3 is completely undocumented. Yes. Um, So we don't know like what that represents. So they're proposing to use GPT-3 as a model of something serious. Um, Maybe they've done a little bit of like poorly done control on the backstories that they're feeding in. But the underlying thing is still just, you know, general web garbage, um, which as we document in Stochastic Paris is in no way representative. Right. Um, And then on top of that, you could maybe talk about using a language model to uh, gather or using statistics over language form to gather information about what people have said about something. Right. Because, yes, it is it is built up about what people have said. I wouldn't want to use GPT-3 for it because I had no control over the sampling that was done there. Um, But you could with a curated data set, you know, if you were interested in, for example, um, what people using a certain hashtag on Twitter are saying about a certain topic, you can use a language model in that context. But they're proposing using it to determine what people would say. Yeah. Which is like you may as well use a magic eight ball. Like that, right. there's no grounding in reality there. 
And I, I do want to note that the people that the lead authors on this, which I'm sorry to say are political scientists. Um, and I'm, I'm very upset that they're political scientists because I'm thinking, and what kind of methodology class, you know, who hurt you yeah. <laughs> to, to try to think about this? Um, so it's quite upsetting to sort of sort of see, see this. And I mean, I guess this sort of idea here is, um, I mean, it's worth sort of going into this and sort of poke into this a bit um, because the the sort of the sort of examples that they're that they're focusing on here is, and maybe if you're thinking about an incredibly limited sort of survey, is given that they're political scientists, the three questions that they're talking about is free form partisan texts, um, and then um, so basically what GPT three is talking about how you're describing Democrats and Republicans, which okay. <laughs> Um, the second one is vote choice, which of course is a perennial, um, problem of political scientists, um, and vote prediction in which they focus on ANES, the American national election study, which is kind of a go-to for political scientists in collecting panel data on vote choice. This is an incredibly narrow, um, kind of outcome though, focusing on what that vote choice is. Um, and so then, and then the last one is, is these closed, closed ended questions, which I'm just looking at this now. Um, and so I don't know what that necessarily entails. Um, and so it is pretty frustrating <laughs> to see this first off one, you're focused on a very narrow sort of set of human behavior, which is kind of vote behavior in the U S um, which is already talking about, okay, if you're doing a survey and you want to do vote behavior, we, we there's already some kind of way that political scientists do model some of these behaviors basically based on existing demographic variables. Um, and I'm kind of thinking about, all right, well, if you're using GPT-3 for, for kind of doing any kind of modeling on demographic variables and forecast, you know, forecasters such as Nate Cobalt 60 do this as well <laughs> in their models um, in which they're sort of doing some kind of forecasting based on demographics of particular individuals. You are building sort of things, but then they're using GP3. GP, you're effectively trying to go from demographics, which you already know that demographics are pretty productive in terms of doing vote choice, but they're incredibly more productive when you talk about other types of surveys. And then trying to generate sort of responses based on those demographics. So it seems, you know, like this is already pretty bizarre. Um, but I would say that maybe from their own kind of intensely constrained sort of thing about vote choice, um, this may be interesting, um, but it is still incredibly bizarre. Yeah, I mean, it just... When you are doing any kind of science and scholarship, you build a model with the full understanding that the, the model is not, you know, an exact map of the world, right? That yeah. there are simplifying assumptions. But if you're doing it carefully, you have some sense of what those simplifying assumptions are. Yeah. And you, um, like, you know, you might, you might 
in a survey, ask people a bunch of questions and you realize that you are nowhere near the full range of thoughts that person had, you only have this small sample of the questions you ask them. Yeah. Um, but that feels so different to me than never mind actual people. We are going to come up with synthetic personas out of GPT-3 and ask that instead. It's like, like you said, who hurt you? What made you think that that might actually <laughs> stand in some interesting relationship to what you want to study? Like, and I mean, it's, <laughs> and if you are posing this as a replacement for something like the ANES, which would be a dramatic category error in terms of methodology, well, not category error, I'm sorry, I'm probably misusing that. It would, it would be a dramatic departure from that type of methodology, especially from what we know of even to trying to do vote prediction from in in from 2016 to 2020 um and that seems like a huge gap especially if you think that there's going to be major shifts in things like demographics or major shifts in sort of you know or major shifts in say the overtness of racial animus you know, so for, you know, I'd imagine the shift coming even post 2020 is that there's going to be a much larger rise in people being overtly white supremacists. Um, is that going to be and are they are people going to reflect that in the ANES? Who knows? Maybe, um, mm -hmm. you know, that's sort of the that was sort of the kind of thing coming out of the 2016 uh, polling debacle that um you know people weren't going to um express their kind of pre their their preferences for trump because they didn't want to be labeled racists or white supremacists um but people are more overtly doing so um so you know if this is posing to be a replacement for the ANES, i really don't think that's going to be yeah. the case then they say here at this end of this you know the study cost 29 dollars on gpt3 all right, but you're not going to replace the ANES in twenty in twenty twenty four with this by any means. Right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, is that enough for one thing in this that, segment? That's, that's enough. And I and I yeah. Let's let's go to this other thing. Okay. And I I'm I'm going to apologize to Timmy um, for this other thing because I know this is this is directly in the kinds of things that make her rightfully and righteously angry. And I really appreciate what she has contributed. Um, where's the thing? Okay, here. Arvind Narayanan um, claims. So this is in response to a question about um, a, up, up a bit more. Eva Wolf Hengel, yeah, oh, at yeah, the top. Yeah. yeah. Um, need your support. I'm looking for examples where hashtag artificial intelligence. That sounds like a really fun hashtag to file. Follow um, is used for moderation and how this can go wrong, or if it really helps, how it helps. And um, Arvind comes in with um, and Arvind, I should say. I appreciate the work that he and his co-author are doing in that um, AI snake oil sort of book taking shape on um, Substack. Um, although, uh, and they're, they're, I guess they're being very transparent and like putting out drafts and taking feedback and they do seem to take the feedback. So mm -hmm. that's good. Um, so I was surprised to see him saying, um, uh, AI for content moderation generally used to assist humans rather than autonomously, which keeps the failures low. Overall, it works pretty well. And I was like, that's not what I hear about this. And he says, that's why we haven't heard more failure stories. I'm like, have you been listening? Right. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> so, so, so what do you think, Alex? 
<laughs> one new thing I think. I mean, given it seems so, I'm I'm reading the rest of this. So he's continued talking about a big area of failure is mistaken copyright strikes and account suspensions. Um, another example is, is CSAM. Um, there's a lot of research in NLP on the fact that toxicity detection and other tools are biased against minority identities. Um, I haven't seen evidence how that manifests on real platforms, probably because they're really covering, you know, covering their asses. And then, he, yeah. and then a few more, he says, the common reason you'll hear about why AI isn't and what we get for content moderation is it can't handle nuance, context, and humor. This is definitely true today, but I'm the minority in believing this is mostly solvable technical problem that looks solved in the next decade. Um, okay. <laughs> I'm wildly I think the, optimistic. I, yeah, very optimistic yeah. about it. I think the end state of AI for content moderation is that we'll be decent at implementing policy and handling the easy cases, but the hard problem making policy and tackling the hard cases will remain. And it has no role there and shouldn't. Um, this person and I um, are writing about this in our upcoming book on AI snake oil and um, Tarleton Gillespie uh, at Microsoft Research, uh, who has this other paper on content moderation and scale, um, which is a good paper and is an expanded um and there's a short version of this that he published in Logic Magazine um, on scale as well. And so, I mean, there's a lot of assumptions here that he's being made. One of them is the sort of notion of what these sort of easy cases are. Um, and, and this is already a very Western-centric view uh, of the kinds of things that get paid attention to. Um, the idea that in the U.S. this is probably going to get better and in Western Europe, but that this is going to do horribly in um, in other places on the African continent in places in which there is sort of value alignment that's done in particular ways. And he's in the minority and should say in the minority in this insofar as these are things that are the assumptions that already go into sort of the value propositions of policy um, there's kind of a refusal of doing that. And this is something that um, people have been talking about on Twitter, the idea that the kind of idea that you want to have no content moderation and that um, he who should not be named, or uh, as I posted on Twitter, the um, blood emerald man baby um, has been speed running into content moderation policies is because you need to make some kind of a value judgment um, to even have a profitable platform. And so right. you're going to have to put your, you're going to have to plant your flag in the grass someplace, and you're going to have to make pretty um, clear political distinctions about what you're actually doing. And if you're trying to only understand a view of the world in which there's only conservatives and liberals, there's only Democrats and Republicans, that's going to look a bit easier than, you know, a place that is going to have much more complicated political um, and, and, and ideological entrenchments in it, right? And so you have to make value judgments someplace. And I want to call out Sarah Roberts because um, given that everybody's an, a, 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 you know, an expert on content moderation these days, uh, Sarah Roberts was you know, the first person to write pretty extensively about content moderation on platforms and how it gets outsourced to people uh, in, in typically uh, global South countries. Um, and what she said in one of her talks on this is that 
these policies are not clear and they're not pretty explicit. They're kind of in the minds of policy managers. And she calls these 100,000 lines in the sand. These things kind of get drawn and redrawn um, really from kind of, um, you know, th these kinds of ideas that happen on the everyday at, at the quote unquote street level and they don't get externalized. So, yeah, we actually don't have a lot of policy, um, you know, outwardly because, you know, there's reasons for that because gaming, because um, once you put these and publish these, they can be gamed. But knowing that there are 100,000 different policies being made on every given day means that these are technically intractable problems, means that you actually need people to actually look at this. And it's not going to be about quote unquote hard cases. These are the, these, this is the bulk of cases. Right. And I think the, the people need tools and you mentioned already that this is very western centric that that mm -hmm. to the extent that it's working at all it's working for you know english in a u.s and let's say australian and european context north american um, australia new zealand and, and europe um and you know you talk about the, the workers in the global south who are doing this highly traumatizing work they are doing it i think largely for um, these contexts where it's considered quote-unquote solved, where meanwhile, as Timnate points out in this thread, um, there aren't even the basic tools that the people doing the content moderation would need for other languages, where you have people posting flat-out incitement to genocide, mm -hmm. and it's, you know, if you flag it, there's there's not the expertise among the people who looked at the flag things to be able to say, yeah, that's it, um, but there's not even, you know, just part of speech taggers and basic keyword search and that kind of stuff. Right. So there are ways in which uh, natural language processing techniques can help build useful tools that, that can like help if you if you've got something that's gotten too big and you've got to like sort of sift through the mess and find a bunch of likely things to get rid of or likely accounts to ban. Um, but for many, many languages which are associated with communities where terrible things are happening, those tools don't exist. And so to say, oh yeah, this mostly works pretty well is is just to not listen to the people who are saying how it's not working. Um, that's right. That's right. Yeah, it's just it's just not a yeah, you you have a very western bias on that and even viewing that there's not the technological tools. Yeah. 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 And and I I noticed so so uh, Leon who's in the chat and has done some research on um how if people have to make content specific and context specific judgments but they don't share the context, they are not well set up to do it. Um, yeah. So he points out that the moderators themselves are also diverse um, and policies are both open source and country specific, but then also imp aren't implemented evenly. Um, and so they, they reflect the social norms of individual moderators. It's really interesting to be looking at this in this moment as we're trying out Mastodon yeah. because the, the <laughs> right. Mastodon notion of moderation is very different, right? Instead of yeah. trying to scale it and do something where one big network has to evenly apply policy to everywhere, this notion of sort of smaller federated servers where people maintain their own communities and make their own decisions feels much more human scale to me. Mm -hmm. And I know that that is also a lot of work, but I also wonder if the work is maybe um, more evenly distributable or if people are working to tend their own communities um, yeah. and then tend and I guess defend their own communities. So, you know, yeah. thinking about the, the DARE community server and um, mm -hmm. what you all might be thinking about who we want to, um, block right like which which other things we have to defederate from that yeah. feels um like both work so um Ali Al Khatib was talking about this on, on Macedon today it's like yeah. yeah you're basically asking the people who are suffering to do the work to clean it up but it's also empowering maybe mm 
Um, yeah. So I mean, it's 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 the sort of idea where like if you can actually identify these problems and then have policies around that and start developing kind of a, a set of community rules, then that makes mm -hmm. sense, right? As a way of doing it rather than sort of ways, um, you know, that, that these decisions get kind of, um, you know, you have to sort of be a supplicant to the, to the platform and ask for this. And I mean, this is sort of the idea of, of kind of the, the scale of these things and the idea that, these things are always going to be hard to scale. I mean, this is a point that that Tarleton makes in in his in his piece and in, in the logic piece. Um, and some some great points in the chat that Tanit's making the idea of like the kind of infiltration that happens at these at these corporations. And that was the problem that we saw in um, in in Twitter um, where there had been um, people that were. Um, uh, 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 attentive to it. There were, there were Hindu nationalists in the organization as well as people that were um, sympathetic to the Saudi regime. And then also knowing that the, the kind of context of these things in terms of the scales as well. Um, and yeah. Frigg in chat says it's even scarier. The chief AI guy at the face place is oblivious to these biases and in which, you know, one of these things, you know, um, you know, that he said, um, you know, was, uh, you know, like, you need a place that has, uh, you know, unlimited space and is really good at content moderation. Come on over to Facebook. <laughs> and yeah, so. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and teens mentioned that Kirky note that we can link in the chat in which she's talking about these as well. Um, I want to, I, I have a meeting right after this. So I, <laughs> I selfishly want to like end this a little early. Um, but this discussion in the, in the chat is really is really great and we're gonna try to gather these up and put them in the show notes um and so yeah this is great and if y'all like this segment you know say so the fresh ai hell and we'll come up with a theme song and a nice like you know i'm probably gonna basically just take a picture of that um that like everything is fine dog and then I was put, gonna say like, yeah that one <laughs> <laughs> and put like you know just have him saying what in the fresh you know what is the when the fresh ai hell and then we'll you know like and then we'll have a we'll have a theme song so uh, that is definitely right. not my recommendation thank you so much alex this was all fun right thank you, you emily this is great all right see y'all next time hopefully in two weeks or so <laughs> bye <laughs> that's it for this week our theme song is by toby menon Graphic design by Naomi Pleasure Park. Production by Christy Taylor. And thanks, as always, to the Distributed AI Research Institute. If you like this show, you can support us by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And by donating to DARE at dareinstitute.org. That's D-A-I-R hyphen institute.org. Find us and all our past episodes on PeerTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You can watch and comment on the show while it's happening live on our Twitch stream. That's twitch.tv slash dare underscore institute. Again, that's D-A-I-R underscore institute. I'm Emily M. Bender. And I'm Alex Hanna. Stay out of AI hell, y'all.